I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, the midterm elections continue to drag on. <laughs> All eyes and a heck of a lot of political ads are now pointed towards the state of Georgia to see who will pick up that final United States Senate seat. Uh, the close Senate race is headed for a runoff, as we know, uh, in early December. Uh, we're going to take a look at how that works. And uh, to help us do that, uh, we're going to go back to, uh, to Meg Kennard, a national politics, a political reporter for the Associated Press. And you may remember we had Meg on before the election day talking about how the Associated Press calls races, how those 4,000 stringers uh, help with that team that ultimately calls 7,000 races across the country. And uh, it's why we still have some of these races out there, uh, 19 of them in the House that have yet to be called. Uh, Meg, thanks for coming back on the program. Sure, boys. It's good to be back with you. So before we get into the state of Georgia, uh, give us just a little window in in terms of these uh, races that are yet to be called. Uh, any trends you're looking at there? What uh, What are some of the things that are holding up some of those races and ultimately getting to that decision? Well, it's a variety of things. <laughs> There's never really a straight answer <laughs> when we're trying to parse some of this election stuff. Um but, you know, as you noted, there are 19 undecided House seats across the country. Any The Democrats or the Republicans, one of them needs to get to 218 seats. And we just haven't gotten results that bear out those numbers yet. As of our current count, Republicans have won 212 of those races. Democrats have won 204. So there's still a little window there in between before either side really gets to 218. In some of these places, we're still seeing votes being counted. Each state does all of this differently. And so we're watching all of these districts that are in a variety of states. Some of them we expect to be coming in later this evening, late tonight. There are some that we likely will see proceed to ranked choice voting, mm-hmm. which is a, a method of voting that's used in Alaska. And there's some other states that are implementing it. That means that we may not get results in some races until Tuesday, sometimes stretching into next week. And then there's also a district that have um, curing deadlines for their ballots, and that stretches us into the next couple of days as well. So we're waiting on a a number of things here before we can see which party is going to be in control. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.
never ends. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm it sure, feels that way sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure uh, your team at the Associated Press has just got to be exhausted uh, by uh, crunching and recrunching the numbers as as you pointed out for us, which was so helpful before the election. Uh, that the AP, you know, isn't going to do a projected winner. You're only going to do uh, that called race when there's no mathematical chance for the trailing candidate to catch the leading candidate. And in, in some of those 19 races, uh, that's still not there. That's right. You're, you're absolutely right. We don't make projections. We really go based off of the data. And we just don't have the data at this point that brings us to that to that magic number of, of 218. So, you know, we often joke, but it really is true. We prepare for election day and election night, but it really is election week. And now we're stretching into maybe election weeks <laughs> um, when it comes to determining a lot of these races. So we do prepare for it. It's something that we kind of had on our calendars already. And here we are still kind of in the thick of it. <laughs> All right. Let's go to election month, which takes us to the state of Georgia, uh, where uh, <laughs> neither candidate was able to get to that 50 percent threshold. That's a unique thing uh, to the state of Georgia. I think there's a couple others that have that as well. So break down what happened, where we are, and then what we look to as we march towards December the 6th. In the general election in the Georgia Senate race, we had three candidates, Democrat Raphael Warnock, who's the incumbent there, Republican challenger Herschel Walker, and then a libertarian candidate, Chase Oliver. All of those candidates on election night got a number of votes, but Warnock and Walker came in within one percentage point of each other, neither of whom got over that 50 percent mark. Chase Oliver got 2.1% of the votes, and that's within the margin that kept either Warnock or Walker from getting a majority. So in Georgia, that means that they'll be proceeding to another round of balloting on December 6th. So it'll be until then that we'll really know who's going to be representing Georgia in the United States Senate. Yeah, so interesting looking at uh, how that plays out. Again, 2.1% from the Libertarian candidate. Which way those votes would have gone if it would have nudged one of them uh, up over 50 and the the wind is fascinating. Uh, so so how does this one break down uh, in terms of how Georgia executes this? Uh, is it all election day? Is there some early voting? How How do they go about that? There is an early voting window for this runoff election. Um, this is voting that will be happening Monday through Friday um, in um, a several-week period leading up to the, uh, the runoff date itself. And there's been a, a lot of changes about this. Georgia had a new election law come into play um, that governs exactly when this voting can happen. A lot of it, now that many of us are getting used to the way that early voting works, and there were a lot of options, obviously, after the pandemic election of 2020 that went into effect in a number of states. And Georgia is one of them. Um, but, you know, they're really trying to kind of wrap their arms around this. I think everybody has a little bit of election fatigue. Clearly, this has been a, a long time coming for this general election. But in Georgia, it continues. So um, everybody who can vote in the runoff had to have been registered before the general election. So that mm. is one line in the sand. Um, there is no new registration happening for this um, this round of runoff voting. But otherwise, as long as you got your voter registration in by November 7th, you can participate in the runoff. And there are lots of helpful websites from officials in Georgia to give voters information on exactly where they need to go, how they need to cast their ballots, and get ready for a lot more advertising and campaigning because yeah. all eyes are really 
focus there on this race. I've been saying all week that we all should pray for the poor people of Georgia who are going to endure four more weeks of just brutal attack ads going back and forth. And uh, (laughs) hopefully they can vote early, get it done, and then they can tune out the tune out the rest of that. This is a little bit of a of a deja vu all over again uh, for Georgia. We obviously saw this in uh, 2020. Is there anything that has uh, shifted significantly since uh, since the 2020 round? One thing that's different for this runoff is that the entire partisan control of the Senate isn't coming down to this one race. That's what happened in the runoffs that happened after 2020. It wasn't known who was going to control the chamber, Republicans or Democrats. Democrats picked up both of those runoff Senate wins and therefore went on to control the chamber. Now we already know that Democrats are going to be controlling the U.S. Senate thanks to the win from Democrat Um, Cortez Masto in Nevada. So that's already certain. Democrats are absolutely hoping they can pick up one more seat that would give them a bit more of an edge in the chamber. Republicans, likewise, would very much like to be able to at least maintain the 50-50 split that's happening right now. So maybe there's not as much overall national pressure on this race, but I think it's safe to say that either party is still looking at this as a way to show some muscle and to try to, to pick up one more seat in the all-important Senate. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Those voters in Georgia are really going to be inundated, <laughs> even if ultimate Senate control doesn't come down to this contest. Yeah, then finally, real quickly, Meg, uh, I won't make you get an actual prediction, but do you think we might we might get a uh, a call on some of those House races tonight, and will will that put either the Democrats or Republicans uh, into the majority spot? I think it's possible that we continue to get some more calls, but still unknown if we're going to be able to get enough needed to call control of the chamber. A lot of this is very slow coming, and we will be slow and steady. Yeah. Meg Kennard, national politics reporter for the Associated Press, has been guiding us through all of this. Uh, such great insight behind the curtain and behind the scenes. Meg, thanks for your insight today. Great to be with you. Thank you. All right. And that's Meg Kennard from the AP. That's so fascinating how they do that. 4,000 stringers. They called 7,000 races across the country. There's 19 left to go. Uh, so much more to come on Inside Sources. Stick around. We'll take a quick bottom of the hour break. Much more ahead. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.